Hello. Welcome to Moments of Clarity. My name is Matthew Sortino and with me is Toby Kent. Hey, Matt. Hi, everyone. How are you? I'm very well. Yourself? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Now, Matt, before we go any further, I think uh, for not just all of our Australian uh, listeners, but particularly relevant, sort of relevant to our Australians, is uh, I'd like to acknowledge that you and I are having the conversation on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation, pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, uh, and of course any First Nations peoples uh, who are listening or just uh, represented around the world. For those of you who are not in Australia, this is a really important cultural undertaking. It's part of the healing uh, that... Uh, Australia is looking to do with our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and it's a matter of real importance to, to Matt and me. Thanks for that, Toby. I've got a bone to pick with you though. Do I? No. We, we had a conversation with Kelly last episode. Yeah. Uh, we, we very much enjoyed that and, and what came out of that was a discussion about values that I thought that we could uh. have now, uh, a conversation where... The argument I said the we had yet had. said we had it, yeah. <laughs> and knowing us, we're going to end up agreeing <laughs> after an argument. But I think um, the, the best arguments are the ones you have pre-booked. Yes, yes, and you've pre-booked it. So <laughs> we'll get into it. I, I've struggled to frame what I mean by values in mm-hmm. some ways. So I wouldn't mind you unpacking, well, the argument we haven't had yet. What, what's, what's your framing? So I think on the one hand... There are concepts of universal values. Most people believe in family and well-being. But then I think where I struggle with this idea that if we could just spend time to understand one another's values, we'd all get along. Vladimir Putin has values, but I don't think that he and I are ever that likely to get along, even though he might say, but I'm just doing this for my family and my people. I say, oh, yeah, I do things for my family and my people. I mean, I don't have the same influence over my people as he has over his. And so I actually think that values can be as divisive as they can be uniting. Um, If you look at the war in the former Yugoslavia, you know, so much of that, quite reminiscent actually of the Russian invasion uh, of Ukraine, was about past glory and the values that Serbs traditionally held, just like now this is about uniting the Russian church with the Ukrainian brothers and, and in terms of the narrative, not what I perceive to be the reality. And so I think that's where I have a challenge around this idea that values necessarily bring us together. Yeah, it's almost every layer that you dig deeper, you need to dig another layer down to understand who we are as individuals, who we are as a community and how we can unite rather than divide. And my my initial purpose was when I have conversations with people that I disagree with or see conversations online, mm-hmm. it's often about, oh, you know, the Democrats or the, the Labor Party or the, you know, whoever it might be, the progressives, they're hypocrites. You know, I read this article that said this. I read yep. this that said this. I've watched this video that said this. And I wanted to go beyond that because we can't all read the same. I'm not watching Fox News or reading Breitbart or whatever and they're not looking at The Guardian or ABC or CNN or whatever it might yeah. be. How do we 
ignore the fact that we're looking at different information streams and get to something more base, more basic than that. And I thought that was values, you know, yeah. where um, it doesn't matter. Look, you might be right or wrong about that and I might be right or wrong about this. We're never going to agree because we've been watching and listening to the such polar opposite ideas for so long. But surely we can go, don't you want your community to be pollution-free? Like, mm-hmm. wouldn't you, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't it sound good to have your everyone having a house to live in or a hospital to go to? Why can't we agree on that and then figure out how it works and, you know, s- start somewhere? So, so, so maybe yeah. that's where it falls down mm. is the how it works. Mm. Uh, so one of the conversations we touch on with Kelly was gun control in the US. Mm. I think if you ask most Americans, a bit of an assumption in here, but... Most would say, oh, well, family and security is really important. And then this is where the whole nation is in turmoil and disagreement because you've got one lot who say, well, so the only way to make our families safe is to get rid of guns. Have you seen the disgusting destruction um, being caused by them? And you've got another lot who say, you've got to be crazy. The only thing that keeps us safe from the tyranny of government and can make our families safe at a more local level is to have more of us armed. Mm. And so I think that that's, I think, therefore, even where values might align, it is the means of implementation of how you get to the desired thing that then tears us apart. So so what's the, the step then? Because this is something I'm, I ponder often. So... I guess we can now have the discussion to, you know, take away from just me thinking about this, you know, as I lie in bed at night and no sleep because I'm wondering how, how, do, thinking of me. how do I reach lying, these kids? Lying in and bed yeah. at night thinking of me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm massively flattened, but maybe this is a conversation for off-air, Matt. Now, anything that happens off-air should happen on air with us, Toby. <laughs> but um, but what, what, what is the step then? Is there a way to, I mean, we had the, I mean, look, I don't want to talk too American at all, but yeah. whether you look at what's happened in the UK with Boris Johnson, not you know that vote of no confidence not going through, mm. even though what was it, forty percent of his own party reject him, but yeah. you know he's still leading the country. Whether it's Trump still going on about a rigged election after he's been found guilty in a way of of a coup mm-hmm. um, or about to be, you know, at least with the hearings, um, yeah. uh, you know, found guilty. What what does that mean? You know, there's information. He could, is definitely in some way culpable, whether yes. or not. Yeah. And and that's being ignored. And then, you know, even in Australia, there's there's so many things going on, as there are all throughout the world. And you mentioned Putin before. There's so many different ideas. So with all that, there's obviously really polar opposite views. We we don't get news from the same location, which is maybe a good thing. We don't we, we have similar values that we just can't seem to align mm-hmm. the solution to them. Yeah. Where do we then begin? What's the first thing that we write on the page for our manifesto? We're writing a manifesto, Toby. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> we joked with Patch about you being revolutionary. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I just didn't realise it wasn't a joke. <laughs> well, it's a manifesto of conservatism and... No, not really. It's... <laughs> it's um, but, you know, if we have to come up with a, yeah. a, a guide as to, you know, how do we set, you know, almost in philosophy you have to sort of keep going back to what is the core belief. You know, you can't you can't chop and change so constantly. Maybe, and I don't want to sound inadvertently contrarian nor naive, but 
mean, there's a part of me that thinks it's not that bad. There are some horrendous things going on in the world, but people also demonstrate tremendous compassion and support from one another in every country in the world. And I think, I think the world has a way of correcting in, in some ways. Uh, I feel like, and this is almost not a political thing, although there's probably some inherent politics in it. I think with a change in government here in Australia, uh, it feels like there is a, a, a reset being undertaken um, and a redirection. I can't see... I, I think that we need to constantly be striving for fair representation, for an effective democracy. These things can't be taken as either guaranteed or, uh, and we can't be complacent about, uh, and we have to make it work. Even if you're not, you know, I don't think either of us are activists, but we are kind of active in our communities in other ways. And I think there's a, a responsibility for all of us who can to play a role as active citizens. I, I know that the manifesto thing was uh, a framing. I don't know if it's so broken that we need a manifesto. And we do need action on things, and we keep coming back to climate change because it is such an all-pervasive situation and demands a fundamental way of doing things across the world differently. But in other ways, it's been, it has been quite uniting and it is bringing nations together, albeit that there are complexities and differences and so forth. I feel like you've teed up an excellent argument and I'm undermining it with my lack of clarity. No, no, you've made me think more clearly right now that manifestos are inherently bad. <laughs> and and what I mean by that is if you write something down and you're going to hold to that without with an unchanging dogma, mm-hmm. you, you're wrong automatically, in my opinion. And that's yeah. and you mentioned the word democracy there. Mm-hmm. We need, you know, a pluralist society. We need a, a liberal society, not big L liberal, but yeah. little L liberal. We need a society where ideas are thrown out there and are challenged and yeah. that we don't have this one way or the highway sort of mode. Right now we need a opposition in this country or mm-hmm. anywhere that, that holds the government to account even if we like that government. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we need ideas that, you know, about COVID vaccine. I, I think it's ridiculous about, you know, anti-vax stance and stuff but maybe it's a very decent thing to have in our society because we need to question things. We need to ponder things and maybe a manifesto or, or something I was sort of joking about no, that but... Yeah. But, you know, the idea of writing out, you know, your pamphlet of who you are, that should change on a daily, weekly basis. But maybe the values to go back to it are what you hold dear, you know, non-violence. Mm-hmm. Non-violence should be something we stand for because violence only makes more violence, really. Yeah. Um, and it stops ideas, it stops progress, really. It, it, it It's not a good thing. So for me, the gun debate, it's about... How do we stop violence? We can't do it with more guns. I get it that America is a very different society than Australia or anywhere really else. It's it's dangerous. Do you really want to, at, at times in some parts, do you want to be at the mercy of a criminal that wants to break into your house or, you know, a shop owner that could get robbed and the police in action? No, you don't, you, which is why you need a big gun. That's right. And yeah. then you wonder, but then you're willing to potentially use that gun and, it, it's just a circle where yeah. the idea should be let's stop, let's improve 
the economic and social status of people so that they're less willing to throw it all on the line to get yeah. a packet of carton of cigarettes from behind a shop or whatever. Yeah, and, and again, this is where the core value perhaps, there are very few people, maybe with exception, and again, we touched on this in a different episode actually in terms of you saying maybe there are parts of society that want to keep others down uh, in their own interest. But on the whole, I think most people look to have a thriving economy and prosperous people through that. But again, it comes back to the means of how you get there, which is where the division starts to come. So as we begin to wrap this up and think about our next guest, values are inherently personal as well as universal at a certain level. How we then work in pursuit of those values can be both uniting and divisive all at once. And Ash is doing who we're about to speak to, and you'll introduce him, Toby, but is incredible in the way that he's trying to bridge some, not divisions, but different sectors of society and bring them together. Um, And I think maybe that's my purpose, perhaps with this podcast and with the way I go about things, that I believe we need a really strong, transparent, accountable, trusting society, government, bureaucracy, whatever you might want to call it, which is our democracy. And by ensuring that people are feeling, you know, safe, secure, have an identity, have a community, then we can hope that we don't have to go down the pathway of a 1930s, you know, Europe or, or a, you know, modern day Russia or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think it's not all about government. And I think that's what Ash Ross Handler, who uh, we speak to uh, and everyone will hear from just coming up. So Ash is the founder and CEO of Good Company. Good Company is an organisation, a business that unites well-intentioned, forward-looking businesses with not-for-profit, charitable organisations and allows, really enables the power of of business, not always, but generally big business, to help to achieve social good. And Ash will articulate that much better as we turn to him in just a minute. But the reason I mentioned that bit because I don't think it it really isn't just about government. It is about how do we bind as a society and across sectors. And I think that's a huge part of what Ash is doing uh, and the great work that he'll talk to as we turn to him now. Thank you, Toby. Now here is Ash Ross-Handler. Ash Ross-Handler, welcome to Moments of Clarity. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. No, it's terrific. Now, Ash, you and I have known each other for a while now and... I know that most people in Australia know you, but some don't know Good Company. So let's start off. Can you just tell everyone what Good Company is all about? Yes, Good Company is a a platform where we connect corporates to charities to volunteer, donate, fundraise, uh, match donations, charity gift card rewards. But our whole mission is to connect those that can give with those in need to bring out the best in everyone. So, Toby, we met um, through ANZ when you were working there a few moons ago and uh, we have a platform for ANZ that empowers, uh, connects their staff to uh, 1,500 charities to volunteer. So that could be general volunteering or skilled volunteering. So I met Toby uh, way back and um, we're still with ANZ today and we're still mates. Yeah. I mean, good company still with ANZ, just in case there's anyone in HR who's wondering that. I'm, I'm no longer at ANZ, no. Uh, no, but we are still mates. Um, 
So again, you sort of had a nice phrase there around connecting those who have with those who need. Um, but it's all about the corporate side. You're not going to wealthy individuals and so forth. Uh, well, if wealthy individuals want to knock down our door to support, we uh, we will find a key and we'll open it. But, yeah, our, our core is connecting corporates with charities and I think... You know, if you look at what's happened over, I mean, I'm, I'm late 40s, but over our lifetime, you know, you've got companies now that have more cash reserves than governments. So is that going back to Reagan and trickle-down economics and all those other things? So whereas, you know, governments are under more and more pressure as to their budgets and, and uh, running deficits, and uh, I've always been a believer that corporates should and need to step up and contribute more to society and more to charities. But the kicker is that now, you know, well, I think it's always been the case, but now more than ever, people want to work for those companies that are shown to be giving it back and doing the right thing and doing good. So, yeah. When you set up Good Company, was it very much with that corporate kind of involvement in mind? And if so, how did you get there? Or was there something that came before that led to Good Company in its current form? Yeah, so uh, Kate Kennedy started Good Company 21 years ago. She's an absolute champion and she was working for the Pratt Foundation. A lot of people were asking her where, where are the good charities, who are the good eggs that they should volunteer with and particularly their skills. So... She was doing that off an Excel spreadsheet. It grew and grew and grew, and she thought, okay, this should be, you know, a a digital platform. So she went out and got that built, and it was Australia's first skilled matching platform. A great brand, you know, great people behind it, and I, a few years earlier than that, had started something called the Karma Currency Foundation, and that was with, uh, we launched Australia's first charity gift bat card back in 2007. And so we often used Good Company to find skilled volunteers that could help with bookkeeping and photography and a few other great things that we needed. And uh, I fell in love with Good Company. Like I said, love the brand. And then um, happy accidents, you know, years later, they came to us and they said, you specialise in, in donating dollars, we specialise in giving time, what if we brought the two together? And that's how we came to run Good Company. Yeah, right, that's a bit like you and me, Matt. I came to you and said, you can be a guest on your own show for your 50th episode. And <laughs> yeah. you said, well, I was thinking of inviting you to be a co-host. And Happy days. Happy days. One day we might have the, uh, you know, the, the long legacy that uh, Good Company is creating. Absolutely. So, yeah. Ash, what's something at the moment that good companies doing that you're really excited about? Uh, right at the moment is um, we on, tell us the, about the bus. Tell us about the bus. Yeah, the good company volunteer mystery bus. Get on board. So it is. Uh, it's an idea that's been percolating for years. Um, with the tip of the hat, actually, to Qantas, I think it was that had their mystery flights back in sort of the the 90s, and we have found, even with a platform, there's a lot of problems on the corporate side of things about, you know, where are they going to volunteer, um, how the staff going to get there, how they're going to get back, what are they going to eat, 
what's happening with RHS, um, how far they have to travel. So 78% of companies now offer paid volunteer leave, but the problem is like they just can't organise themselves really to get out in teams and do it. So we thought the good company volunteer mystery bus could solve the problem for the company, but then also solve the problem for the charity where they're, you know, now having conversations with companies and they're, you know, how many people are going to come and what date, you know, we've got to shift the date now and, hey, we need a few bucks uh, as part of the donation to actually manage you guys. And the company goes, oh, hang on, you want a few dollars? Like we're giving you our most valuable people, uh, valuable resource, which is our people. So, so the whole negotiation back and forth, we're trying to strip out all the drama from that, bringing out the bus, getting people on board, and the promise is we're taking them to the area of greatest need, which is actually really interesting, well, we think. And then we get into these discussions about what is the greatest need and where do we, where does that come from? Is it, um, so I'll ask you both, where, where do you think the area of greatest need is today? Is this a, a I mean, assuming, because uh, obviously Good Company works only in Australia, so you, are you asking from a, a thematic perspective, a geographical perspective? Yeah, I, I think we shouldn't sort of pen ourselves in. You can go as far and broad and wide as you like. I, I think that it might be, would it be a little bit of distance from, from the centre of town? Would, would you have to go out to some of the outer suburban ring, regional areas outside of, like, let's say Melbourne, for example, in, in to areas where there's... Um, well, there is great need and probably low access for most people, especially the people that might work and, and live in or around the city. So I had or I'd actually gone outside of Australia in my head. Yeah, so, so that is, I guess, is building on that, you know, people were, were on the bus talking about Ukraine being the area of greatest need right at the minute. Um, you know, others have been quite vulnerable and talking about their, their partner who had a stroke and so they see, you know, people and their carers as a stroke victim having the greatest need. When I asked my 13-year-old daughter, where's the area of greatest need? She's like, oh, Dad, it's domestic violence. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Why is that? And she said, well, because, you know, Amber Heard um, and Johnny Depp and, you know, listening to that sort of on TikTok day in and day out. So it is interesting in that, you know, how... Because uh, I've been doing this now in the charity space for a long time and it always fascinates me that at some time, you know, the government's like, well, uh, you know, Aboriginal health and closing the gap is the, the biggest thing, you know, for for Australia and that, that's our number one mission and then it's world climate change and then it's COVID and then it's obesity and then it's um, mental health. And so is is it... You know what's in the zeitgeist? Is it is it pop culture? Is it music? Is it news? Is it what you're exposed to? Um, this must have been a really confusing bus ride. <laughs> <laughs> totally, and and no drinks. That's a problem too. <laughs> um, I've got a good mate uh, uh, who works in events, and I said, "How am I going to make this magical without alcohol on the bus?" Uh, but we've got all these good bits of magic, you know, we give them actually like bath salts and stuff to enjoy at the end of the day and hats and there's music and there's lots of things to make it magical. But um, getting back to to the greatest need, a lot of the conversations actually did come back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. and looking at that 
and and seeing you know right at the base, you know, a roof over your head, food in your stomach, clean water, then going up a level to you know education, up another level to the arts, all the way up to sort of self actualization. Um, and it's just good conversations that don't naturally happen in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I guess just quickly, you know, when, when I was thinking about good company directly with with the employee employees of these companies that were going out, and I thought maybe that's that's a place. But so, you know, you've just you've you've talked about all the potential areas of need that there could be, and what how do how do we actually ensure that we are doing that have you landed on one so it's 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 the bottom it's the maslow's hierarchy of needs it's hitting those that you know are needing a roof over their heads clean water and food or are you are you ensuring that you know you're hitting everyone in that pyramid of maslow's uh well we went on the mystery bus uh to you know St Kilda Mums and Vinnie's and RSPCA and you know we go to a whole bunch of different charities. So uh it won't tick everyone's box on what they think the area of greatest need is, but it's gonna get them thinking, which we love. Which we love. And I think this is what people attracts people to your podcast too, because it just gets them, you know, thinking. Yeah. And 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 on that, um, do do you feel that part of your mission is to not just give workers a day out doing something that makes them feel good and then they wait until that day again the next year to do it one more time? Do, are, you, are you hopeful that these conversations and, and the experience that they are getting makes people that maybe want to do a bit but are, but are busy actually start thinking about the difference that they can make on an ongoing level and even on a you know, on a personal level to make that part of their 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 life, you know, the, the idea of charity and giving rather than just a day at work? Yeah, I, I think even probably going even a little bit deeper than that is, you know, Bob Brown, who is the leader of the Greens, probably, you know, one of Australia's most inspirational leaders. He was sort of before your time, Toby, coming to Australia, but what, what a he, guy. He invited me, actually. <laughs> he laid out the green carpet. Um, so Bob Brown was he was at a conference and he was talking about climate change and um, carbon and some of the biggest emitters. And I sheepishly was sitting through the whole thing. And at the, when it came to question time, I put up my hand. I said, "Look, Bob, I run good company. A lot of the companies you've talked about as being some of the biggest offenders are our clients." So we're creating a platform that makes them an employer of choice that adds the employee value proposition and it puts them under the banner of a good company. We've even got good company certified badge, meaning, you know, these companies support volunteering, donating, fundraising. So I'm helping them and, you know, basically am I going to go to hell for this? And he's... I know he's very influential. He controls that as well. (laughs) He does. He does. Oh, so good in this conference too. He was talking about like he, he's so smart and then he went off on this tangent about how the world has to, you know, everyone, all the countries have their own anthem and how he was interested in writing a world anthem, like a song that, that the whole... Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I digress. Didn't John so Lennon said, do that? Yeah. Well, he did, <laughs> didn't he? He really did. Um Bob Brown, I said, Bob, am I going to hell, Bob? And he said, look, Ash, 
wither from within, mate. And I said, what, is, what does that mean? And he said, well, wither from within. So if you're working with, you know, and you're taking them out and connecting them to charities that are planting trees or, you know, uh, looking after nature, you're going to shift their minds, you're going to shift their mindset, and then they're going to be in a position back of the company to start having the conversations and push them in the right direction. I'm really glad you expanded on that because when you said, I, I kind of had, I thought he was, in, in your telling, I thought you was like wither from within as in your, your guilt will eat you from the inside out. But actually it's about a more profound thing about systems change and, and I guess uh, a more nuanced, I, I guess calling yourself good company is kind of binary in almost. You're either a good company or you're not. And actually this is sort of saying, hey, listen, it's not just about are you good or bad, but actually goodness comes in, in many forms and, and actually helping people to do good in some areas kind of will in time help the whole system to be better. Absolutely. And, and it's definitely not binary because I get a lot of people coming up to me and saying, well, what about great company? Like, don't you want to be great company? <laughs> uh, so, you know, we've spoken a lot about good company and what it does, Ash, but I... Would love. I'm one of these Australians, believe it or not, that doesn't know much about you, Ash. So, um, you know, where did you grow up? What was you know life like for a young Ash? And what brought you to a space where you know you're leading good company and helping all these corporates do better? Oh, wow! Good question. So, I grew up in Borwin, North Borwin, pretty sort of middle class upbringing. Uh, Mum was a social worker, dad, entrepreneur, who actually, uh, you know, the movie The Graduate, and in some, one of the lines in the movie The Graduate, the guy says, the future, the future is plastic. Yeah. And, uh, and I think my dad heard that line and went, oh, that's interesting, and he started off a company with sort of one converter machine, so you'd have a roll of plastic and it would just cut it into individual sort of bags, and from there grew a very successful business. So we went from Borland to Hawthorne and at about the age of, you know, 12 or 13, ended up in, in Turak. And uh, he, uh, you know, probably self-confessed workaholic, you know, quite a, a privileged upbringing in that sense. But I guess, you know, by the time we got to Turak, that was about the time too that the whole family just imploded. So, uh, you know, divorce and, and separation and all that sort of stuff. So I think I got a great early lesson, which I'm thankful for to this day, that, you know, money doesn't bring happiness. And probably I went to the extreme that I actually connected money with unhappiness, which is probably a bit silly. But, you know, definitely gro- growing up, as a kid in a house where everyone was on top of each other to a, a, a bigger house and, you know, to one of these mansions in Turak where you actually don't know if family members are home or not. You'd, you'd sort of yell and there'd be a bit of an echo and, you know, it was, um, it was, it was horrible. And I think people that live in these houses too, like, I mean, there are many happy families. There are many... Uh, you know, poor people that are also, you know, desperately un- unhappy. Um, I think there's a healthy kind of middle ground, which which I hope society isn't losing. 
but yeah, so so I think that was a good lesson in life that um, you know some somehow like winning the lottery is not winning the lottery. Yeah, and it's interesting that your mum was a social worker and your dad an entrepreneur because in a funny kind of way, it feels like you've combined the two where you've been very entrepreneurial, you are an entrepreneur. And one of the things I always enjoy about our conversations is how creatively you think in terms of, you know, oh, we could, you know, you could do this. We, you know, you've always got great ideas. And, and I think you had an advertising background at some point, which maybe we'll touch on as well. But I, I, I don't know how that resonates with you, just that sense of, you know, your mother as a social worker, as they say, and, 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 and whether or not you've kind of brought those two things together in one neat ash. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think as as a partnership, my mum and dad were, you know, just terrible, a terrible match. But but I think that somehow in hindsight, you know, looking back, uh, I studied accounting and philosophy at, at uni. Sort that, of you that know, classic sort of, combination. Classic, classic combination, and then launched Karma Currency. So, you know, this sort of karma philosophical thing with the currency part and then even good company, I guess, is a balance of, of goodness and, and corporatization. So, you know, maybe in a weird way I've been trying to bring these two things together my whole life, but uh, I think it's good to use both parts of your brain like that. I mean, even studying accounting and philosophy, it's kind of like, yeah, you can read a balance sheet, but, like, are we even awake? Is this a dream? <laughs> I, I love that. I think it's so important to to actually try to merge these worlds because there's often this idea of the social worker or the the social enterprise or, or the charity as being very, very different and foreign to the corporate space. Um, and then you've got the government space as well. And and there's all there's these sort of three worlds plus the people that don't care about any of that and just trying to live, you know, get through day to day. I think it's a, a yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting direction that you're going to try to bring that uh, the corporate world into a good a good place, the good place, um, while also probably using all the great things corporates are doing and able to do and with their reach, with their knowledge, with, you know, the the human resources that um, that are there as well as, yeah, that reach and, and just general resources that the corporates have to extend that. You know, have you found or can you provide even an example of um, uh, a company or, a, a, you know, someone in the corporate world that has been able to lift someone in need, I guess, or a, a group in need, um, you know, by, you know, taking them on board or, or giving a platform that went beyond you know the mystery bus day. You know yeah. it went it went beyond that, and and you know magic actually happened. Uh, yeah, I, I think by combining those worlds, you can create these virtuous circles that, like, everyone wins. And you know we do great stuff with Medibank. So Medibank were keen to get their staff back in the office. They were keen to get them vaccinated. So they said, you know, on our platform, if you um, say you've been vaccinated, we'll give you a $20 charity gift card to spend on charity. So, um, you know, they they win, the staff feel good, charities are benefiting. So there, there's, you know, we love those virtual circles. And even with some other companies that are using the charity gift cards that we have on the platform 
for all sorts of incentives and rewards and promotions. So, you know, they might say, give us a referral and we'll give you 50 bucks of karma to pass on to your favourite charity. So they're winning business. The more business they win, the more budget they've got for the vouchers, more budget they've got for the vouchers, the more charities we're supporting. And the beauty of the whole thing is, you know, that what we're really trying to do too is make sure there isn't more landfill and there isn't more, you know, stuff. And a big moment of clarity for me was really watching an inconvenient truth and just realising, you know, we're using 1.2 planets, 1.5, coming up to two planets and how crazy and unsustainable this this path is unless we really make some drastic changes. So, yeah, the virtual circle stuff is great. I love it. And then there's shared value stuff that, you know, is also using a company's strategic, you know, brilliance or, or their products and also helping organisations at the same time. So there's a great example with IKEA. And IKEA were giving millions of bucks to the World Bank and they explored and they said, what are you doing with this money? And they said, well, a lot of it goes to tents for refugee camps. And they look at it and they're like, oh, really? Can we, can we look into that? And they look into these tents and they're cold in winter, they're hot in summer, they've got a shelf life of, you know, 12 months and, and they're horrible. So... IKEA thought, okay, why don't we take those millions of dollars, we'll reinvent, you know, with an Allen key what a a tent should look like at a refugee camp and came up with it, solar power roof, cool in in summer, warm in winter, the last three years, and uh, they got funding for it. So they're selling these everywhere now. So it's, it's fantastic when they... When, when business focuses their mind to do good and then stories like that attract customers, they attract investors, they attract staff, um, everyone wins. Can I ask you, uh, and you probably don't want to mention names on this one, Ash, but have you ever seen it go really wrong? I don't mean that the, you know, the magical mystery bus ran out of petrol or whatever, <laughs> but, like, what, what does when, when corporates trying to do the right thing, but it's just uh, off the mark. Yeah, there are examples whereby what was happening, there, there was like a village, it was winter time. a charity came in to deliver blankets. So, you know, thousands of blankets um, to a refugee camp and they did that and in doing that they put like 40 people out of business because it was their business to sell the blankets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or, or another one, you know, you hear of aid workers in Africa, they'll come through a village, they'll find the two or three people that can repair a Toyota, they'll take them on to the next town where, you know, they're, they're needed to build a well or to help deliver food or something, and then what happens is they've, they've taken their best and brightest, the well breaks down in the first town and there's no one there to fix it. Yeah. So I think in the aid world, there's good books written about it where, where things go wrong. Um, but getting closer to home for good company, I guess one of the things we we see now and then is it, you can't be schizophrenic. 
and give schizophrenic messages. So it's very difficult for a company to go, hey, times are tough, we're laying off 8% of staff, but by the way, we've got an extra day paid leave of volunteer and we're matching donations. So that's one of our challenges. Just in terms of so the challenge being, I guess, twofold, what are the unintended consequences of a well-intentioned action? And then the other one is how do you be authentic and consistent as a large organisation that is necessarily going to make some tough decisions at times and you don't want it to mean that you therefore stop doing good things, but at the same time it's very hard to find that balance, I guess. Spot on. What links I find into my industry, I guess, as a teacher is it seems like every school has a piece of paper put in front of it and then they get a certain amount of staff and people and do with something with it, do something great with it. And you end up spending hours and hours and hours and hours on creating something that's pretty good. You know, you take some elements from from certain places that if you can find it and then you're left with a time poor, you know, sort of clunky, uh, to use your word, schizophrenic approach to education at every single level of school and and you know i'm in a public school so we should all be on the same page and the same team with a with a bank of incredible resources to use together and i feel in the aid you know space in the um charity space even in the corporate space when it comes to what do we do to do good that everyone would have their own idea probably a value set that wants to make this the best it can be but with a um short amount of time and and a Last episode we spoke to Kelly O'Shaughnessy about trying to do things as an individual doesn't work whereas doing or it, it has a small impact but just, you know, adding yourself into a group, into a mix, you can do amazing things. And what I feel like the the thing about good company is that you're actually taking out the, the, the grunt work from the corporate to figure out what to do on that day, figuring out what to do with our staff and actually able to say, actually, enjoy this day. This isn't onerous. This isn't something that, you know, will take two months of planning to figure out. We've done that for you. Off you go. And I feel that that needs to be something that we need to do in almost every sector in every area. And, you know, we've got a United Nations, a World Bank, this and that, to try to do that. But it's often, you know, academics, policymakers, aid workers and stuff deciding that. You need it to bring IKEA along too to get that that tent um, looking so much better. So I'm really inspired in a way by what you've talked about, you know, about the possibilities. But then also it's like, why aren't we doing this all the time? Why isn't every single industry figuring this out that we can we're but, better but together? So 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 you started that with um, at school and, and everyone's sitting around a a, a piece of paper. Mm. Is that how you started? Yeah, the one piece of paper. Yeah, so um, I think that's the, the starting point, you know, for me has always been like what's the problem you're trying to solve? And uh, I, I think so many, you know, businesses and charities and governments get it wrong a lot of the time because they don't know the problem that they're solving or they're solving the wrong problem. If there's a big enough problem that's uh, tricky enough and we're solving, I think that is what magnetises people and, and you know, people hear it and they go, oh, I wish I'd, you know, I'd, 
the biggest compliment is, I think, saying something and, and someone going, oh, I've had that idea before. I really, I, you know, I, I wanted to, to do that because then that means I guess there's a problem that you're, you're solving and I just see it time and time again, companies, people solving, solving their own problem. So for corporates, when it comes to, you know, volunteering, they start with their staff and they go, so, guys, like, what are our skills and where, where how far away should we volunteer and who's your favourite charity? And, I mean, they're all kind of logical questions, right? But they, it's the wrong end of the stick. That actually, if they're going to make it transformational, meaningful, authentic, interesting, um, then you've got to start with what what do the charities need? What do they need? When do they need it? And who can meet those needs? Because if you start with, oh, hey, where do our staff want to go? Or who do they want to help? I mean, we've had experiences with, with some companies that are knocking on the door of a charity saying, oh, we've got all these financial analysts and all these great finance people that really want to solve some of your big problems. And they're coming back to us and they're going, Ash, these guys don't get it. Like young, smart actuarists come to us. They work for us. This bank, they love some of our people. We've got the best and brightest. So it's hard. Like we don't want to say no, but this is not meeting a need. Their need might be, oh, you know, we're doing a fun run and we need people on the weekend to hand out water bottles. That's meeting a need. Mm. And then it's up to the corporate to go, okay, well, that's beneath us, that's below us, or, hey, that's, you know, a great time, we're going to get out there and we're going to help. And one of the things we used to do a lot when I was running Resilient Melbourne was kind of ask people. So rather than going, oh, that's not right for our people, you go like, hey, guess what? Anyone want to hand out water bottles at the whatever? And someone will want to. Uh, And it may not be the strategic thing. It may not be. But there'll be others who get really excited about using their financial skills. But that, as you say, it may not be that that's the opportunity. Mm. Yeah. How, How do you apply that in your own work? So again, it's a, the world is busy. Matt and I've had a few conversations about focus and how do you decide on what to do at any one time. How do you work out for yourself and you and good company what the question you should be addressing is? Uh, we get a lot of feedback. Uh, we, we've got our good company ambassador network, which we love. We do corporate roundtables, which we also love. There's the staff that feed back into that too, um, that help guide us. And then uh, there's sort of keeping your ear to the ground. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we started this, it was all about CSR, then CSR became shared value, shared value is now ESG. Um, So it's understanding, okay, well, ESG, if that's what a lot of investors now, that stands for environment, social and governance, if that's what a lot of the media and investors and customers are obsessed with, then how do we lean into that and how do we try and solve some of the problems there? Um, But I think, you know, you do it in business and then I do it like even socially, you know, even even sort of day-to-day. Even my mum, you know, my mum says, oh, Ash, you got to send me photos of the kids, you got to send me photos of the kids. It's, It's a thing with her. And I actually said, well, you know, and, and a little bit obsessive about it. And I said, Mum, like, 
come on, what's the problem we're trying to solve here? It's not that you need more photos of my kids. It's maybe that you want to have a, a, a deeper relationship with them, which isn't going to be solved from photos. So, you know, let's organise some dinners or let's go out, you know, to, to a movie or a play together or come watch a sport. And I guess, you know, it comes back to the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So, um, yeah, if you can find those problems, that's, that's what I like to do. And we've all got plenty of problems, which is great. I love that example. Um, how do you find, I guess, the the focus personally and the strength personally to actually approach each and every day with your head above water and keeping that direction? I'm assuming you keep your head above water. Uh, we can look like we do and we're not always doing that. But, um, you know, what is it that, like, is there a practice that you have? Is there a, a motto that you keep that just keeps you, you know, on the on the right track and knowing that, each and every day I'm doing what I believe in. I'm pretty flawed. I'll, I'll well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go buy a packet of cigarettes now and then, which is terrible because I think that helps. Then my other, you know, smarter voice says that's stupid, you know, meditate. So then I will do that. Um, and then uh, other times you know, a friendship and, and investing in that and spending time with, with people I love is, is really important. But I guess, um, yeah, running the company that we do with, with the clientele that we have, sadly, you know, it's some of the days is, um, what's, what's the saying? It's missing what's vital for what's important? No, it's... it's um, I don't know if that wasn't a phrase before. I think we can make it one. <laughs> It's not a phrase. It's it's a bit, but yeah. I, I mean, like like a lot of you know entrepreneurs, I think part of the day is getting getting your head above water, putting out whatever little fires there might be. Um, not that there are many, but you know there are always little ones. But but planning the day ahead, putting something in the calendar. I've just got you know something in sort of for every every half hour in the calendar. And, Moving it to the next day if I don't tackle it. So kind of going back to almost in the beginning of the conversation, Ash, but as we, with one eye on the clock, a couple of things. If, whether it's through good company or the magic ball that falls out of the magic bus, if you could solve one thing, and I mean be as ambitious and grand as you like, if you could solve one thing, what would you go for? Well, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Yeah, that uh, I won't do that. I'd like well, to Which is that. that? What's, the thing, what's the one thing he wouldn't do? And now he's now meatloaf is dead. We can't even really ask him. No. Okay. Seriously, what would I like to solve for? Have you had I... anyone else sing on Moments of Clarity? <laughs> Not yet. And, that, that was great. And I think we, should, we need more of that. That is our... As part of our intro, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. Um, what would I like to solve for? So I do have this little idea called Stop at Two. Stop at Two. So this is about climate change because I think we need like an earth hour. That's something for climate change. So Stop at Two is about... Stop at half past one? Exactly. Half past one would be better. Stop at Two kind of 
is around, well, if we're going to go to two degrees, we want to, we want to go above two degrees. Uh, so it would be some sort of website organisation where it would talk about, what, you know, stopping at maybe two uh, serves a metre month or two flights a year mm-hmm. or, or, you know, definitely like two TVs or two hours of internet or gaming or whatever else. So, so a whole lot of practical things to stop at two. But then the kicker is a world, a global strike, which means like at two o'clock on the second of the second, everyone on earth just stops working and says like we're the little worker bees and we work and we pay our taxes and the taxes go to the government. The governments aren't taking this seriously enough. And so we'll just stop for 20 minutes or two hours or two days or two months and this whole thing builds. I, I, I love it. I've heard of um, Stop at Two in terms of two degrees and also I've heard Yuval Noah Harari talk about talked to a lot of experts and economists and they've come up with the magic number to to solve climate change at the moment is if the world's GDP, the entire combination of every single country's GDP, and we just use 2% per year, we could actually go a long way to mitigating and adapting and, and doing what we need to to keep the, the, you know, the global temperatures under that. And that seems like so possible. And, he, and you know, a lot of governments have used... I don't know, you probably know the numbers better than me, but a lot more than 2% on on stimulating the economy during a COVID crisis and things like that. So surely with the biggest issue that we have in the world, you know, for, forever, we, we can give up 2%. So, you know, adding that and making that the challenge, we're going to keep striking until yeah. that 2% reached or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. And I love Yuval Harari. I know. So there you go, Rush. You said the best compliment was where someone else, where someone says, oh, I, I had that idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the two. Yulval's pretty, someone pretty good to have the same idea as. <laughs> it's magic two. It's fantastic. I actually think that Yuval had Ash's idea. Yeah, but... potentially. Now, on the subject of who had whose ideas. By um, the way, there's, there's an interview on TED, TED interviews with Yuval Harari talking about Ukraine. Uh, which is incredible. And he talks about being a historian and actually feeling a little bit funny and bad about being a historian because it reminds people of wars and pain. And he said, you know, when Putin talks to Macron and, and sort of goes on and on about all the pain of all these other wars and that's a justification for, you know, what he's going to do next... Yuval sort of says, like, it would be nice if people could kind of start, you know, fresh mm-hmm. sometimes because uh, because of the pain of history. Um, anyway, that's just an aside thing. It's wonderful. In terms of your own personal history, Ash, you've used the phrase once already. The clue is in the name. When you decided to, because you were in advertising, we haven't touched on that. You know, this was not all you ever did. So you came out of advertising to set up the Karma Currency Foundation, what is now Good Company and so forth. When was it that you decided to really dedicate your life to this social purpose, to drive using business for good and so forth? So fundamentally, what was your moment of clarity? Yeah, I think um, a, a big moment was working advertising as a copywriter and 
you know, everyone in, in advertising is a target. Like everyone's literally got a target on their back. This is our target market. This is, you know, mums and mums like pester power. So if you can get in the kid's ear, you're going to hit the target through the kid. And like it's, 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 you work with really creative, fun people. The parties are great. Everything's great. There's a lot going for it. But it's at its very core, um, you know, selling shit to people that they don't need, don't want to make them believe that they're going to feel better is just wrong town. And, but on that journey, I did some ads around the Olympics for the Red Cross. And so what we thought we'd do is grab the Olympic rings and then the red ring, we'd just drain it all the way out to the bottom so, so all the colour drained out of it and said, you know, this Olympics, don't forget to give blood. And so the IOC saw that advertising and went ballistic <laughs> and you know, went to court and then it got on all the newspapers and all the media. And so next thing you know, you know, this little ad had caused people to line up around the block uh, in, in Sydney around all these blocks to, to donate blood. And so selfishly, I just, I, I mean, I felt fantastic. I felt great. You know, I slept well, I woke up, spring in my step and from there did some ads for the Heart Research Institute and other organisations and just thought this is, this is great. If I could use my creative talents to encourage people to donate blood rather than buy more Mars bars, you know, that's a, a pretty good outcome. And then saw an inconvenient truth, got extra committed to the cause and then actually spent some time in New Zealand and there was this great brief that hit my desk saying they wanted to do bottled water, but they, this is 2002 or something, right, and they wanted to do bottled water but give it some purpose, give it some meaning, make it more than water. So 2002, I started, you know, reading about um, the future and wars uh, would be fought over water and water insecurity and I thought, okay, let's call it wellness water Water's good for you, but wellness means every time you buy some water will help contribute money to a well. And this is like a, you know, a, a decade before Thank You Water or whatever came out. And, you know, water's not great, single-use plastic, horrible. But anyway, I thought it was a nice idea. They, got, they came back, you know, two weeks later and said, we took it to a whole bunch of research groups and no one really cares about wells or kids or Africa or... And I just thought, fuck you, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, if I ever have a good idea like this again, I'm not going to go to a client, I'm not going to go to mum and, and dad, I'm not going to go to friends, I'm not going to go to anyone. I'm just going to do it. So I think, you know, if you have a moment of clarity, you need the clarity and then you need a bit of anger behind that, a little bit of anger to go, okay, now I've got the clarity and I'm angry enough that that I'm going to do something about it. So came back to Melbourne, was doing an MBA at Monash, learning about the war for talented staff and how do you keep them engaged, involved, and at the same time was going to a friend's engagement party and we bought them a vase and we're in the car arguing about this vase that we bought them and I said, oh, it's just going to end up in landfill and we should have got them a goat from Oxfam or a charity gift or something that they you know, instead of a thing, um, and then thought, oh, they might not be into, you know, Oxfam or breast cancer or heart rate, like, like maybe they're into all these other great things. 
So I thought a charity gift card, if you could give that to someone and let them decide where the money would vest, that would be exciting. And then having the lens of, you know, the corporates and thought, well, if corporates could do it too and turn around to their staff and said, we want to donate $10,000 this year, but we're going to give it out in vouchers to get you engaged, involved, because we want, we care about you. And I think the interesting thing that's happened over the last decade now is diversity and inclusion is, is such a big thing. And so giving corporates choice in where their staff can give to plays beautifully into the whole diversity and inclusion uh, movement. So I could say to their staff, if you're First Nations, if you're animal lovers, if you're LGBTI, if you care about the elderly, kids, whatever you're into, we want to help support that. So, yeah, the charity gift cards, fell in love with that idea, brought that to life, called a Karma Currency, set up the foundation, got some good clients on board, bought on good company, and, and the journey continues. Ash, I'm so inspired by that. I absolutely loved the, the framing that you put in with feeling. You know, you use the word anger, but feeling. We do feel things so often and we just let it go, you know. I, I once said to someone, if only we could all cry at once, we could make a difference because <laughs> we actually all cry at different times or feel or get angry at different times and we don't, yeah. we, we miss we miss that person's spark that we could have had them. And I think what you're doing is capturing, you know, a spark at a time each each time you work with a company, each time that you, you connect with someone, hopefully that spark is reached. So I really, really um, love what you're doing. And, you know, when Moments of Clarity employs, you know, 50 people one day, we'll be on a, on a bus what, tour. We're, we're going to sack, sack the other 50? Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. gone. <laughs> what a way for our 100 staff to find out that we're reducing headcount. Um, it's been such a pleasure uh, joining you today for this and I, I love what you guys are doing and what you're about. One other thing and clarity too is uh, picking up a long walk to freedom. Uh, I don't think a- anyone with half a brain could could get to the end of that book and not question their life and what 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 are the pressing needs and problems that that need to you know be tackled and and to have a life of purpose and meaning. So uh, that also is is a great investment of time. That's beautiful, Ash. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, Ash. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Ash. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Moments of Clarity. If you are enjoying the podcast, there are a range of ways you can help us grow and continue to bring our conversations to you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Moments of Clarity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or the podcast player of your choice. This will ensure you never miss out on an episode. While you are there, you can leave us a review. It really does assist us in getting found by new listeners. However, the biggest way you can help us is to share the podcast with friends, family, colleagues and your social networks. We are hoping to build a community here at Moments of Clarity and want you, loyal listener, to help us build it. We would absolutely love to hear from you and always take the time to reply to your messages. You can get in contact with us on Instagram at Moments of Clarity Podcast, via our website, moc-pod.com, or email 
hello at moc-pod.com. Thanks again for listening to Moments of Clarity. See you next time.